the direct topic of love. I want to talk about who you're dating. Are you dating a person or are you dating an image? So I love myself. That's why the Torah says, love your fellow like yourself. Obviously, I love myself. Everything that I love, period, has something to do with the fact that I love myself. That is the basis. The cornerstone of love in my life is my own love. Do you ever meet someone that says, I don't love myself? Probably they're chemically imbalanced. <laughs> it's, it's almost impossible for someone not to love themselves. So You cannot love yourself and still not feel good. No. Why not? No. That's, it's, it's, it's an animalistic love, but it's still love. Feeling the desire to feel good is loving yourself in a very... It's just the reason, the reason why you're saying no is because it's emotional and it's non-intellectual and it's... No, I just think you can... Like, you don't... You cannot love yourself and still want to feel good, but it's something you're doing because you love it. You're doing it because it feels good. So what you're saying is that an animal can't love itself. That's basically what you're telling me. I'll tell you why. An animal doesn't love itself. It eats because right now it's hungry. It sleeps because right now it's tired. I agree. I think animals can love others, but I don't think animals have the same inner, inner cognitive love that we, that, that themselves, that, that humans have. It's a very strong statement. You're basically saying that our instinctive nature, our, our core nature, <coughs> is not love. Love comes from something outside of ourselves. I'm just saying it's different to say I love myself versus I'm doing this to make me feel good. What's the difference? Because I can go and do something that makes me feel good. I, I can go to work. I can go and, and, and go, on a, go on a date. I can go and eat an apple. That, that makes me feel good. I don't do it because I love myself. I do it because, you know, this is what makes me feel good. Anyone want to fight it? It's very interesting what you're saying because... The truth is, if you what you're saying is quite Kabbalistic, because instinctive love is not really love. It, it, it's it's true. I don't want to go there tonight, but I I like to approach that unless someone has unless someone wants to start the conversation. He said giving also derives pleasure, so you are practically giving, and that makes it feel good. So again, that's why giving is based on intent, right? Do I give because it makes me feel good, or do I give because I want to give? So the end result is the same. The question is, what's your intent? So yes, you can be completely selfish, completely selfish, and give. People who are completely selfish give. You ask, why do you give? Because if you don't give, you don't feel good. The greatest sensation of feeling good is giving. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't give because they didn't realize that yet. <laughs> no, but it, I think that the distinction of, of putting or finding a piece of yourself or giving a piece of yourself or anywhere you give to, you end up putting a piece of yourself in there. I mean, I think that's really clear for me like as a mother. So you give to your children and of course you see them come up and you, you see them. But, but- but to you a little bit. You know, that, you know that giving to your child is not really giving? Because your child has a piece of you within them. That's a good so, point. so 
because the prototype for selfishness is Noah. Noah <coughs> went into the ark. God said, bring people with you. Save people from destruction from this world. He had 120 years to do it. But in 120 years, couldn't manage to get one person aside for his family. Because he could care less about the world. He, clo- he, he uh, closed his hands of the world. He could care less of everyone around him. All he cared about was his family. And the Torah calls him selfish. Because all he cared about was his family. Because his family is an extension of himself. He's completely selfish. So, I have to exist. That's number one. I want to date. I want to get into a relationship. I need to be a person who's relationshipable, who's get into relationship person. So, first there has to be me. Now, my question tonight is, who am I looking at on the other side of the table? Who am I dating? Am I dating a person? Am I dating a person who has intrinsic value? Or am I dating an image? A fake person. Somebody who I've spent (coughs) years fantasizing about. Or somebody who I've thought that this is the kind of person. I've put myself into this bubble. And this is the person. I am dating this particular person. Why? Because I always said, this is the person. The person has to be da, 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 da. I've got a list. I've got a whole laundry list. It's about three miles long. I know exactly what I want, how I want it. Does he exist? I don't know. He must exist. What do you mean? He's my Basharit. If he's my Basharit, he has to exist. So let's go into tonight's class. Pass it down. Oh, there's... <coughs> obviously, obviously, image is important. No questions asked. You should find your potential spouse attractive. You should feel proud to introduce him or her to your friends and family. But sometimes, all too often... There's a tendency to become fixated on a person's image, thus ignoring who the person is underneath the image. You can become so infatuated with who you think the person is, so so taken with a particular quality or ability of this person that you can't see who the person really is. So what do I mean by image? What does that mean? Uh, You have a picture do you go through a magazine and say, this is the picture of the person? What do I mean by, by image? I'll give you six possibilities. There, there's, there's hundreds of possibilities, but these are six, the most common possibilities. Number one, the way the person looks. Physical image, right? Because if it's an image, it's got to be a picture. So number one, most common in family feud would be image. Person, the way the person looks. Number two, profession. Some people say, I want to marry a doctor. That's it. I decided that I'm going to be, I'm going to marry a doctor. It's crazy. I don't know if it happens today. Probably 50 years ago. Today, doctors don't get married. Well, yeah, I'm sure. Three, financial status. 
I want to live comfortably. Period. I don't want to know anything besides living comfortably. And if he's not making six figures, nothing to talk about. Number four, who he or she knows. I want to marry somebody who's the who's who. I want to rub elbows with the right people. So I'm going to marry into a particular family. That way I'm part of a certain status. Very common amongst people who come from nothing. They want to make sure that forever there's something. Five, reputation. Reputation. You want to marry someone with a good reputation. Why? Because you have a good reputation. It's very important. Maybe he's got a bad reputation. I can't marry someone with a bad reputation. That's terrible. And number six, who this person reminds us of. This, uh, this guy comes to the rabbi, 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 I need some advice. Sure, what's going on? He said, my mother, every time I bring a girl home, she gives her the third degree. She ridicules her, tells me how she hates the girl, how she doesn't want to be near this girl. What do I do, rabbi? I think the second, he says, I have a good idea. Why don't you find a girl? who looks like your mother, who acts like your mother, who dresses like your mother, who cooks like your mother, everything. Find a girl that's just like your mother. She can't ridicule that. He says, well, great idea. Next week, he comes running in, oh, Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi. <laughs> says the rabbi, says, what happened? He says, I took your advice. I found a girl. She was a spitting image of my mother, a little younger. She dressed the same. She acted the same. It was, it was amazing. So, the rabbi looks at him and says, what's the problem? He says, I brought him home. I brought the girl home. My mother was in love with this girl. She can't stop talking about the girl. The rabbi says, so what's the problem? He says, my father hates her. <laughs> wow. But I tend to think that it's sort of, the whole list is inversed. Yes. Because it's sort of number one. and then, But if you have... You know, a good profession. You have financial status. You're not necessarily hooked on it. If you, you know, you rub elbows with the hobnobbery, you really don't care what. The but other there's. One knows. I just give you some examples. There's hundreds of reasons why people have image-oriented statuses in their minds of the person they want to marry. Not the not the real person. This is the kind of person, and they they. I get it all the time. They come to me with this bucket list. I'm saying some people have it written down. It's amazing. And they, no, I'm sorry, he doesn't fit that. What, what? I, 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 set up, I set up someone, this, I set up a couple this week. She had a list. And I thought to myself at first, there's no way I'm ever going to be able to see, possibly to fit this list. But I gave myself a challenge. Found a guy who literally fit the list. One thing missing. One thing missing, she wouldn't go out with him. What was he missing? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> he had brown hair instead of blonde. Actually, yes. No. Yes. Exactly that. How no. do you guess? He had brown hair instead of blonde. No. She would only on. date a guy with blonde hair, and he had dirty blonde. Now, this is so stupid. <laughs> I said to her, if you don't give this guy a chance, I'm going to spiritually punch you. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, they went out. So far, so good. But she was not perfect either. But, I can't imagine. 
Well, uh, maybe she is in her eyes. Right? That's part of the problem. Well, that's, that's part of the problem of loving ourselves too much. Then all of a sudden, everyone is, is not as perfect as us. So, I'm not saying don't have your list. Because sometimes you can get the list. But be realistic. Be practical. It's easy to get caught up in image. Infatuation thrives on image. While love thrives on knowledge. Infatuation thrives on image, while love thrives on knowledge. When you fall for someone, you forget that people's looks change, and his or her career can change. You can also forget the fact that if people have money today, it doesn't mean they'll have money tomorrow. It's interesting. The the Talmud says that the coin of the day the coin of the day in the Talmudic era was called a zuz, which means to move. It's because money has an interesting way of moving and changing owners. You also forget that people eventually get bored with external things and that a relationship yearns for something deeper. And so it happens when a person marries an image, which happens very often today. The realization comes that this person is not at all like the image presented, and he or she is not at all what was expected. Sometimes a person turns out to be the very antithesis of what he or she appeared to be. What's shocking to me is that someone can date for a year and not figure that out. But it's not shocking to me, because I'll tell you. And a lot of people think today that you need to date for two, three years. You have to get to know the person. The truth is, dating every stage of a relationship is a stage. The courting, then there's the dating, then there's the engagement, the marriage. You can extend that stage for as long as you want. Nothing's going to change. It's a stage. The maximum stage of, of, let's say, dating could be six months, not even, five months. And you ask most married couples, what are they going to tell you? I knew right away. So why do you wait two years? And what ends up happening today is a lot of married couples, a lot of dating couples will break up because what do they do? They dated to death. They dated too long. They dated a year or two years, and then eventually it got stale. Of course it got stale. It, was, it got stale after five months. You can only date so long until your relationship warrants the next stage. Oh, but it's too soon, and this and that, and social norms, and we have to take all these things into account. It's too much already. So, as far as looks go, yes, attraction is important. But it's not enough to sustain a relationship. In addition, people's looks change with time. Women often put on some weight with years. Men develop a belly. And it's commonly said that men have three hairstyles. Parted, unparted, and departed. As hard as we try to fight the truth, sometimes it does affect their lives. A a person's profession is usually an important expression of identity. (coughs) But a person is not only their profession. Underneath the title, doctor, farmer, teacher, lawyer, accountant, is a person, we hope. If not, be careful. So... (coughs) 
It's not this one. It's the other one. I was trying to be graceful. <laughs> <laughs> it's the other one. It's not even that one. That's last week. So, so, we're, we're dating a person, a real person here. A young woman. Let's call her Nancy, because I don't know anyone named Nancy. Once approached me about a man she was seriously dating. She was actually her professor. But the age gap in this case was not an issue. She was very flattered by his interest in her. And in addition, the tremendous bonus of this relationship was that if she married him, her future profession would be secure as she wanted to work in his field. He had all the connections she would ever need. By the way, and I say unfortunately, it's quite common today. As Nancy jumped into the relationship, she was aware of the subtle voice in her head saying, wait a minute, do you really like this guy? Would you even date him if he weren't a renowned professor? But she was so enthralled by the fact that she had caught such a big fish that she didn't allow herself to listen to the voice. As weeks turned into months, the voice became louder and made her exceedingly uncomfortable. He then asked her to marry him. By the time she came to speak with me, the voice had become a permanent (coughs) pest. As Nancy spoke of her concerns, she was able to be honest with herself. After a long discussion, she finally admitted the bitter truth. Although she was seriously considered accepting his marriage proposal, he would have never been a candidate were it not for his job. She just didn't like him enough as a person. By breaking off the relationship, she did both of them a tremendous service. Although it was hard for him to let her go, as soon as he came to realize that he deserved to be in a marriage with a woman who could love him for who he really was. So often, so often today, we know how to get into relationships. We're very good at it. We know how to create those bucket lists, how to decide what the image is in our head. But we have no idea what to do once we get into the relationship. Oh my gosh, she likes me. What do I do now? I get all the phone calls. She, she's actually interested. Wow, brilliant. I mean, this is like a brainstorm. I can't believe she's actually interested. We're so good at starting, but then what do we do? We think almost like we graduated. And then, the best is the engagement. Once you're engaged, that's it. It's all over. It's history. Don't you know that's just when it's beginning? That's when the relationship really has to develop. Once we're engaged. So, how do we balance the image in our minds, which, once again, is important. We're not discounting the image in our minds. But with the realization that that image is just a pointer. It's just a way that will help us get into the relationship. It's not a relationship. It's not a person. There's actually nothing really strong about it. It's just an image. It's just the way we decipher to the person we're looking for. So I'm going to introduce two concepts, two concepts in psychology and modern psychology for you. And I want to teach you this so that you have the bearings to tackle this issue when it comes up, if it hasn't come up already. Two, the number one is bulldozers, and number two is the famous long-distance relationships. So we'll talk about those two things tonight, and again, we'll talk about some other things as well. So let's talk about bulldozers. Some people figure 
that if the person doesn't fit the image I'm looking for, I'll turn him or her into that image. Sounds familiar? We like the fixer-uppers. There's lots of room for growth. Growth is amazing when a person decides they're going to grow, not when someone else decides for them. It's quite common for a woman to try to change the man she's dating into her image of Mr. Cool, Mr. Serious, Mr. Scholar, etc. We all know that it's a woman's tendency to try to improve her man. However, we're not talking about improvement here. We're talking about a makeover, an overall. If you feel that you need to overall your partner, it's a problem. This is what we call in modern psychology the bulldozer phenomenon. Now again, it's okay to want to fix the man up, but to completely change the person is a problem. You see, sometimes a person bulldozes into another person's life, claiming to be helping him or her. Very often, people, friends, friends do this to friends. Oh, don't worry, don't worry, we'll take care of you. We'll, we'll, we'll help it. And then they listen, they sit there for hours listening to all their mishagas. This thing and that thing, this problem and that problem. My gosh, people have problems and this and that. But don't worry, I'm a great friend. I'm the greatest friend because I will take care of you. Don't worry, don't worry. Sometimes we're not helping. We're making it worse. Fine, listening to the friend's problems is fine. But we give unsolicited advice because we're going to fix the person, because we're going to help the person. And it... Sometimes, maybe not so good. In reality, bulldozers are just trying to turn their potential mates into an image they have in their heads. And by the way, friends as well. You have a certain image of how you think people should be. Everyone has an image. We all create at some point in our lives, and we're not sure if it's 5 or 15 or 25. We don't know when it is. But at some point in our lives, we create the prototype person. And at the moment we create the prototype of all people, of all mankind and womankind, then we decide at that moment that all people should be this way. Obviously, if this is the prototype of all people, all people need to be this way. So anyone that comes into our path, what's our goal? Make the person like the prototype. Okay. Okay. So... In essence, bulldozers don't really care about other people. They just care about their agendas. The agenda is to create iRobot, to create everyone into the same. Okay, stop already. (laughs) (laughs) We got it. (laughs) She says with a big (laughs) gulp. Okay, fine. I'm sorry if it's, if, it's, if it's striking the wrong chord. Kind of. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I got it. I got it. Someone once described the bulldozer in his or her life quite well. Although they had broken up, they still had feelings for each other. Sound familiar? A few months after their breakup, they bumped into each other at the supermarket. Shocking. They both knew that there was something still there, so they decided to meet for dinner and give it another shot. They chose a really nice restaurant to start things off right. As they sat down to their meal, he told her 
that she was a wonderful person and that she wouldn't that she would be even more wonderful if she lost some weight. She said, "We haven't met in a few months, and that's all you have to say to me." Well, I think that you look better if you lost some weight. Thanks a lot. I just want you to live up to your potential. I want you to live up to your potential. I see so much in you. I see you can change the world. Just lose some weight. (laughs) As you can imagine, the dinner was over. What he really meant by living up to your potential is living up to my image of what my future wife should look like. Of course, people have to be careful to take care of themselves and not to let themselves go before or after marriage. The woman in the above story, however, did take care of herself. The issue was his, not hers. The moment you want to make a complete change, if you look at someone and you want to completely change them, you have to know that's not them. You're not dating them. You're dating yourself. You're in a relationship with yourself. You just need someone next to you to make the relationship look right. Otherwise, they'd all think you're crazy when you're dating yourself. So you have someone next to you, and of course, because that person's next to you, you have to make them look like the prototype of all people. We'll be back after a quick break. Are you tired of swiping right on every dating app out there and still getting nowhere? Are you convinced that you'll forever be alone, surrounded by nothing but uh, cats and empty takeout containers? Hi, I'm Aliza Ben Shalom, the host of the new show, Jewish Matchmaking, which you can find on Netflix. And I'm the love rabbi, Rabbi Yisrael Bernath, and we're inviting you to join us for Matchmaker Matchmaker. Each week, we'll answer one of your pressing relationship questions, from how to get over your ex to how to deal with your partner's annoying habits. So if you're ready to laugh, uh, cry, or maybe even find love, then tune in to Matchmaker Matchmaker, and it's available now wherever you listen to your podcasts. So this guy is just not slick. Because the slick ones, you know what they say? I love tennis. You want to come play? <laughs> no, that's... Go, okay. And then they say, well, you know, I want to go jogging. You up for it? And you're like, Okay. I, 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 think, I, think, I think maybe it's also the difference between the aggressive and the passive-aggressive ones. You know, some people are, like, are, are very easily passive-aggressive for no reason. So yeah, you're right. So, so often, you, know, you, can, you can do it in a, in a cool way, you can do it in a not cool way. The point is the same. And I'm talking about us here, talking about ourselves. If you see yourself doing that in a relationship, you have to know what it's about. You have to know why you're doing it. You're doing it because you're not realistic about the person that you want. You want an image. You want a poster child. So you might as well get a picture and put it up on the wall. Because that's really what you're looking for. (laughs) In 2010, in the United States of America, there are 14 million long-distance relationships. We know this how? Statistic, Statistic from University of Michigan published in Journal of Psychology about four months ago. 14 million that they know of? Or 14 million? 14, I don't know. This How is, this, I, don't know. I, I, I don't know what it is. But this is, this is, this is, this is I saw it. In any case, 
What's the story? Because especially today, with technology, with online dating, with all the avenues that we have, long-distance relationships are very common. I just, you know, there's a couple that I, I, I was talking to today. They, religious Jewish couple, nice couple. They, he was in South Africa, she was here in Montreal. They dated via Skype for about three, three four months. She went there after three, four months of this of Skype, Skype dating, and now she's back married. So, it's possible today. Dating long distance is possible, but I want to talk about it because I think it blends very much into the image, and also maybe we can learn a little bit about um, the difficulties of long distance relationships. What's interesting to me is that the only city that, I, that I've lived in, out of the many cities I've lived in, the only city that I've lived in that I've realized that there's not very many long-distance relationships is Montreal. People in Montreal like to stay here and they like to date here, which is quite, it's quite unique. Why do long-distance relationships have high failure rates? Two weeks ago, we spoke about the fact that infatuation is short-lived. Up to about three years. <coughs> How about a crush? A crush is one-way infatuation. It's aptly named that because it can feel like crushing when the spell of infatuation is over. <coughs> How long can a crush last? Over the years, in many different countries, countless people have written about crushes that they've had that lasted a lifetime. It's true <coughs> that unrequited love can last a long, long time. But it's due to the fact that the relationship is entirely in someone's mind, in one's fantasies. The imagination, the imagination can last forever. Since distance lends enchantment, long-distance relationships tend to have this extra amount of fantasy woven into their fabric. And long-distance relationships share an additional problem. What happens when the couple is actually in the same town? Since they know that their time together is short, the relationship tends to be very intense. When these powerful interactions are combined with emotional goodbyes, the couple's connection appears to be more real than it actually is. This is the scariest part about dating long-term. What happens? You have some conversations on the phone or via Skype. It's very easy to, for, that, for, that, for there to be chemistry in that because you have this image in your mind already. So what's creating the chemistry? What's creating the chemical reactions to what we call chemistry, chemical chemistry? So what's creating those chemical reactions? Something very simple. The image that we have in our mind. We have this unbelievable excitement. For what? For whatever we want. See, the fact of the matter is the person's not in front of us. So as long as the person's not really there, we can make up the story of a lifetime. We can make up whatever image you want to make up, until you start talking. And all of a sudden, that's why a lot of people are afraid to ask serious questions. <coughs> shockingly, shockingly, a statistic that I saw a number of years ago said that majority, over 50%, I don't remember what it was, I think it was in the high 60s, and the high, I think 67, if I remember correctly, 67% of dating couples today do not talk about serious stuff until after marriage. 
You can go through entire courtship and not have a serious conversation. Why? Because the moment you have a serious conversation, you can't fantasize anymore. Because you're not, you're not, oh, well, you know, I, you know, this guy, he's amazing. You know why he's so amazing? Because he, I don't know, give me something. Something that you want in your life. He, somebody. This guy's not amazing? No, he's amazing because he, she, something. He's very... Oh. Philanthropic or something. He's thrifty or whatever. He's thrifty. He's thrifty, let's say. You like, you're attracted to people who are thrifty. Canadian. Anyway, so. <laughs> so, you're attracted to people who are thrifty. No problem. What is thrifty? Thrifty means that you don't like to spend. Oh, okay. Spend? Or, yeah, you don't like to spend money. Oh. So, what happens? All of a sudden, one, one day, one day, you have a conversation. Or one day, you see the person's credit card bill. And you're like, this person's not thrifty. There goes your whole fantasy about thriftiness. So what do we do? We stay away. I don't want to talk about thriftiness. And I don't want to see that credit card bill. Because in my opinion, you're the thriftiest person I ever met because I'm attracted to thrifty. The moment you actually have that conversation, there's nothing to fantasize about anymore. So... We, we're scared of the conversation not because we don't want to have the conversation, because we have an image of the person in our mind and we don't want to lose that image. But what it is is a one-sided relationship, completely. International, round-the-globe dating is becoming more common to daily whether people met because they happened to be in the same city for a week or they met through one of the many national or international online dating agencies. Many people find themselves dating long distance. If you find yourself in this scenario, you need to know the following. No matter how great the relationship appears to be, you must spend quality time dating each other and getting to know each other in the same town. One. The fantasies can only be dispelled if you spend time talking and sincerely discovering who the other person really is. This includes tackling those problems, areas, and usually get swept under the rug. You have to talk about serious stuff. I'm not saying you should walk onto the first date and say, what do you want your life to be? But Third date. But you have to go between having a serious talk and having, having a chemistry Date. You know, you have a light, fun date, you go do something, and then you have a date where you sit down somewhere and you talk about serious things. Because what happens is, you can so easily get attracted to that image, that excitement, the chemistry, because you are exactly what I'm looking for. And you get infatuated, stuck on that image, and then, and then what? And then you're stuck, because you're so consumed by the person, it doesn't matter what they say. Oh, you're a murderer? Oh, okay. No. <laughs> I asked a guy once, he said, ask me anything. And I said to him, have you ever killed anyone? And he answered me, yes. And I said, that's not even funny. He said, I'm Lebanese. I was in the Liberation Army. I was like, okay, 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 I'll kill. I was in the Army. What do you think, you know? But that's a freaky answer. Yes, that is a... That, that, that's quite a shocking idea. <laughs> and my, my specialty is sharpshooter. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> okay. God. <laughs>
I don't want to know about your past relationships. Is this the first date or the second date? <laughs> the first date. So, and it gets to a point where you allow your emotions to ride so much it doesn't matter what the person says. The person can say something that's actually the exact opposite of what you want them to say. It doesn't matter. Oh, perfect. Oh, didn't really mean that. And then you go back and then you spend the next three days convincing yourself the person didn't say it that way. They really meant then. You're making a whole commentary on the person's words because you want to make sure the person fits completely into your image. That's a one-sided relationship. If you're dating someone, if you're dating someone, it's essential that you take a good look, a good serious look beneath the surface. Both you and your potential mate deserve at least that. You also want to make sure this person is relating to you, not to who he or she thinks you are or want to be. Although a person's image is important, it cannot sustain a lasting, healthy marriage. That is a marriage that is, that is doomed for failure. It can last as long as the honeymoon stage. How long is that? Somewhere between a year and a half and three years. That's how long an image-based relationship can last. That's why over 50% of marriages end within the 18 months to two, three years. That's the most common time that marriages end. Because that's how long you can last on your show. Yes. It also happens that the person sometimes is not honest on what they they are. Let's say I, I like dogs and there's a, uh, the other guy who put on his profile, I'm not a pet person. But then he said, oh, by the way, I grew up with dogs and I always like them and so much. So he said, well, you said you are not a pet person. And so he's not being honest, he's just trying to... And that is the basis for my case on matchmaking. You need to have somebody, I really wholeheartedly believe this, and I think even in a secular environment, you need to have somebody who's an advocate for you. Because if I made that match, you come back to me and says, it says in his profile as a pet person, but he says, oh, I love pets. Rabbi, go find out what's going on. And I go to him and say, okay, fella, hi, what's the story? (laughs) Do you hate pets or do you love pets? Or what's the thing in the middle? And he says, oh, well... I don't have any pets, but I don't hate pets. I don't know if I would have a pet in my house, but I'm not this crazy pet person, but I'm somewhere in the middle. So I go back to you and say, guess what? He says, he's somewhere in the middle. He says, okay, fine, I can handle it. See, so you don't have to guess anymore. Does he hate me? Does he love me? Am I I good? Am I bad? Rabbi, get a reading for me. Okay. (laughs) So what do you think of her? it's, it's, It's that simple. It's not that simple, but it's that simple from the matchmaker's perspective. That's why I believe that we need to have a third party who is not in the relationship to be part of the relationship only because that person can help the relationship, can give some solid sense to the relationship. And also, sometimes you break up based on image and you don't even realize what you're doing. I see it so often. I don't know how many times a week this happens where somebody says to me one specific thing. I just didn't like this and this thing. I didn't like that he said that he would rather live in his hometown than maybe possibly moving. I'm a free spirit. I don't know where life will take me. I don't know what will happen to me in my life. I don't like that he... So I go back to him and I say, okay, what did you say? Did you say that you'll never move out of your hometown? Or did you say that 
you would rather live in your hometown. So he said, well, I'd rather live in my hometown, but of course I'm open to anywhere. Who knows where life will take us? She was about to break up over that. I go back to her and I said, he's pretty open. I don't know what you're talking about. Give him another try. She gives him another try, they're engaged. Not right away. You need, that's my case for matchmaking. Anyway, enough. Although a person's image is important, it cannot sustain a lasting, healthy marriage. As painful as it is, and as painful it is to admit this to ourselves, it's better to make a sober decision early on than suffer the shock of the mask being taken off once it's too late. Sometimes we don't realize what we're doing. We're convincing ourselves. We're literally convincing ourselves. And when we said we'd never do that, I'm going to be a practical dater. I'm going to be a realistic dater. We convince ourselves things that don't exist. And all of a sudden, someone shakes us and says, do you have any idea? This guy is crazy. What are you dating him for? Well, sometimes we're attracted to that thrill. Right? If, if, if we grew up with these parents that were, and our fathers are military men, all of a sudden, all these girls, they wanted thrill seekers. And this happened in the 50s. You had all these World War II fathers. And they were straight as an arrow. You bring home, and I'm going to jerk. And these girls were running after uh, free spirits. <coughs> because I, 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 my, my dad doesn't work, so i got to go to the exact opposite of my dad. Often you're going to see. I'll tell you the secret now. I don't know why I'm saying this now, but I'll say it. Often, we subconsciously look for one of two people. Either the person who is exactly like our dad, or the person who is exactly the opposite of our dad. Either the person who is exactly like our mom, or exactly the opposite. We don't even realize it. It's completely subconscious. Completely subconscious. And you're attracted. You know they say opposites attract? Lie. Complete lie. Opposites don't attract. We are attracted to similarities. That's the point of attraction. Why am I getting close? Why am I getting close to this person? Because I'm attracted to someone who's like me. Or like someone who I like. Like my dad or mom. So if I have a really good relationship with my dad or mom, I'm going to look for someone like them. Why not? Especially if, I, if my dad and mom have a good relationship. So I've seen marriage work for me. Marriage has worked for me my whole life. My dad and mom have a good relationship. So therefore, why shouldn't I look for someone like my dad who has a good relationship for, with my mom? That'll be the recipe for a good relationship. Now, if we come from a divorced house or, or we've seen strife our whole lives in a marriage relationship and we're confused about what marriage looks like, what's the first thing we're going to do? Look for the exact opposite. <coughs> Because at least we know that it's going to work. I'll tell you this now. If you come from a divorced home, or you've seen a lot of strife, you don't know what a healthy marriage looks like, you must, A, figure out what a healthy marriage looks like. Figure out why your parents got divorced. Don't have to even ask them. Make it up. But figure it out. And figure out what you're going to do to fix that in your own life. If not, you'll never be able to get married. 
Was that heavy enough? It's just a reality. So, and it's not that it could take a matter of 30 seconds. This is why it happened, and this is what I'm going to do to stop it. And if it means getting into a relationship with someone who's the exact opposite of your mom, so be it. That's fine, but let that be. Don't do it subconsciously. Do it actively. Decide, this is how I'm going to do it. Exactly. And create a recipe for yourself of how to do something different and how to create a relationship. You know, there That's are not many examples of good couples that are married. Well, you have to find one. I haven't. You know, I've been invited to homes to places and they are always fighting about so very stupid things that I said I we got to we, we got to get you somewhere better. <laughs> <laughs> You gotta find out if, if if that's something that matters. If that's something that matters in your life, you gotta find a couple that you can say this couple works. You have to. It's so it's so important. You have to. A lot of marriages don't work. See, we constantly repeat. The history repeats itself. We're repeating our parents' mistakes. So, a lot of relationships don't work because we don't know what marriage looks like. If you asked the average product of a divorced household. What does marriage look like? They have no idea. What is a happy marriage? I have no idea. What's happiness? Well, happiness, people can be happy in marriage. What do you mean? Marriage can be happy? You don't even realize that you don't think that. But if you come from a messed up house, you cannot possibly think that marriage is a good thing. So here you have these morals and you have these standards that you want to get married. Why? For what? I don't want to go so deep. Let's uh, break the ice a little bit. Let's get a... I showed him last week, and I'd like to show another piece of him today. You must have read some of these articles about the attraction of men to women or women to men from a scientific perspective. What attracts a man to a woman is uh, some uh, some intuitive feeling that the genes uh, will, will allow the continuation of the species, or that you will you will have healthy offspring, and that's why attract you to each other. Whoa, that is so impersonal. That that describes an intimate relationship. It means I think with you I can have a healthy child. That is so um, embarrassing. That's not human relationships. The correct uh, understanding is that a man and a woman are attracted to each other because they can complete each other. A man needs to grow by expanding from his own little world into someone else's world, into a bigger world into a greater world. A woman needs to grow by being more inclusive, including more of reality, more of the world, into her own existence. So the man extends his existence, and the woman encompasses more into her existence. That's the difference between male and female. That's why we say women are alluring 
They draw you into their world. And a man is aggressive, he wants to extend his existence into other areas, into other uh, realities. Now the man, wanting to ex expand or extend his existence, finds the welcome that the woman presents very um, appealing and, and irresistible. So the attraction really begins, as, as the Torah says, the attraction really begins with the woman's capacity to absorb or to encompass within herself another human being. Men find that irresistible. Not because of the children they're going to create, but because of the bond that that's going to create. So the man becomes a complete being when he is giving and responding to this welcome, to this, um, to this hospitality. And the woman becomes a fuller, more complete human being when she has more um, input into her reality, into her reality. And that's why it's important that a man and a woman, when they get married, become husband and wife. Because that kind of a bond doesn't happen unless the man becomes a husband and the woman becomes a wife. If they remain man and woman, then they're still on the prowl. Then they're still looking to become complete. A husband and a wife have completed each other's existence. And that's what we mean by live happily ever after. It doesn't mean there won't be any problems or arguments. It means you are now complete beings. Now fight your battles, go through your arguments, and put up with each other as best you can. But you're not, you're not seeking anymore. You're not unfulfilled. Now the problems you have are problems you should have. As a man and a woman having problems with each other, these are problems you don't need and you shouldn't have. So the, uh, the real significance of the male-female attraction is the completion, because without each other we are, we are incomplete, we are half beings. That's a lot more romantic than I think we can have healthy children and survive the next ice age. <laughs> The, I think that the, the most important element that we're talking about here, the key discussion, is first I'm myself. I am. I need to be because I can't be in a relationship unless I exist. And I don't mean physically, I mean emotionally and intellectually. And then I need to want to have someone else in my life. Why? Because I, I, capital I or lowercase I, it doesn't matter, I, am incomplete without someone else in my life to share my life with. I need to need someone else in my life. The desire to be alone is not natural. If you have a desire to be alone, it's conditioning. Whether past relationships, whether when you were young, it's conditioning. 
No one naturally has a desire to be alone. Adam wasn't six hours old and he found Eve. We don't have a natural desire to be alone. So we need to need someone else in our lives. But we also have to want to give to that person. So if I give to you and you give to me, then together we become one against the world instead of one and one against each other. The idea is that when we fight, and even when we fight, it's not, I don't like you and I'm fighting you. It's we are trying to become one against the world. Part of that, two souls coming together, is you need to have the, 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 the distance and closeness, this, distance and closeness. That's part of that friction. And if it doesn't happen naturally, it creates it by itself. So, if you're going to create that image in your mind, this image is what I want. What happens is, you're creating that person. And guess what? (coughs) Shocking here. I'll tell you, that person will come. I've seen it happen so many times. That person will come into your life. You'll find exactly what you're looking for. You gotta make sure what you're looking for is what you want. You gotta make sure the image that you have in your mind is real. You gotta make sure that that person is not a fantasy relationship. You'll find the person. <coughs> and I think the, the story now, the, the process now needs to be find what I'm looking for. And think about it. If I'm looking for whatever it is I'm looking for, is it real or is it not? <coughs> Do I really want him to look like Or you know what, I really want one of the ten things that I'm thinking of. Or I really want two of the ten things. And I'm not saying, you know, a lot of people people say, oh, you're settling for less. not saying settle for less. Settle for what's real. Settle for what's important. Settle for what you value. Don't settle for what you decided when you were ten that you really want. Settle for what really, really matters to you that's really going to create a long-term relationship for you in your life. Settle for what's real. That's my story for tonight. We'll open it up to questions, anybody that wants. Hi, Rabbi Bernath here. I have some great news for you. My popular four-week course, Kabbalah for Everyone, is available right now for free for the next 50 people who download it. All you have to do is go to www.theloverabbi.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and you're gonna see the download button right there. In this course, I talk about the Kabbalistic secrets to relationships, to wealth, to happiness, and balance. This special offer has been dedicated in loving memory of Ellie Dorfman. I look forward to hearing from you and hope you enjoy the course. Now on to today's episode.